0: You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see everybody here today, and... um, if you were here during the Sunday school time, you were uh, able to hear more about the Solano Children's Home Mission Outreach in the Philippines. Kay Davidson is here with us. We found out during that time that their power transformer on the, uh, on the power pole, blew, and uh, unlike here in the States, they have to pay to replace it. The power company will install it, but they have to pay for it. We set up a, a basket out in the back, and I've seen already many people have contributed there and appreciate that. Uh, it's $1,200, and that's a big expense for their mission. So if you have not contributed there and are able to, if you're not, that's fine. You know, we're not, we're not trying to extract money from anybody, but it's an opportunity for you to give for that need. All right, so welcome to all of you. Uh, And just, if you would, please turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 is where we'll start today. We live in a time where there is more competition for our attention than at any other time in history, I think. Every magazine, every television program, radio program, store display, billboard, print catalog, and junk mailing as advertisements of one sort or another trying to capture our attention so that we'll spend our money in a way that benefits the advertiser. Many articles of clothing, some of you might be wearing some right now, websites and even books also advertise particular brands, particular products, or even other books. Uh, you, you know, you read the book and you get to the end and it's got that preview of the next one. So they're, they're advertising right there. Again, they're trying to separate us from our money to the seller's advantage. In the case of websites, the use of something called a cookie, and that's not nearly as tasty as it sounds, allows other websites to know what you've been looking at, and then they deliver ads targeted to what they think are your interests. In 2017, more than 200 billion, that's with a B billion dollars was spent on advertising in the United States alone and in 2017 was also the first year in which the amount spent for online advertising exceeded that spent for television advertising. Capturing your attention is worth a lot of money to people who want to sell you products or services. And except in the case of the radio and books, who don't have this advantage, the primary method of capturing your attention is appealing to your sense of sight. What you see is a powerful influence in what it is to which you pay attention. Well, this is also true in areas other than advertising. Photographs, paintings, and sculptures often capture our attention when we encounter them for the first time. You go in and it's just, whoa, and you see it, you're just, you're focused. Because it's stunning or whatever. Sometimes natural scenery captures our attention, even if we've seen it many times before. When I come over Valley Hill from the south, I still am captivated by the view of the Mission Mountains here that presents itself. And how many times have I seen that before? Every time I come up over that hill and I see those mountains out there, it's just like, whoa. You know, and it catches my eye. The beauty of a flower in bloom, a stream or a river flowing through a forest, or any of the many creatures that God has created can capture our attention. So those of you that drive, how many of you have done this? You're driving along, and you see something off to one side of the road or the other that captures your attention. And so you focus on whatever it is, and as you watch it, What's the next thing that happens? Well, maybe. Hopefully it doesn't get that far that you wreck, Rick. Um, But it's over here, you start steering in that direction. It's over here, you start steering in that direction, right? Last week I said that one of the best pieces of advice I ever received about driving on mountain roads is not to drive faster than would allow you to stop within one half of the visible distance or less. Dan tells me there's a place where there's signs up to that effect. You're on the mountain road, it tells you, don't go faster than what allows you to stop within one half the visible distance. Another great piece of advice I was given about driving, and this is whether you're on mountain roads or not, is to make sure that you don't follow your eyes with your steering wheel. That takes practice, because it's automatic, you know, you, you drive where you look. It's what we do. It's something that all of us are prone to, and which can cause all of us a lot of trouble. You know, those narrow mountain roads, they often have a steep drop-off on one side, no guardrails or other protective devices to keep you from going over the edge. If you start looking across the canyon while you're driving and you allow yourself to steer where you're looking, things are not going to end well for you. An even greater danger these days is the preoccupation that many have with their phones while they're driving. Now, we all know that texting while driving isn't safe, yet like so many things some of us might figure that well it really isn't safe for others but we can get away with it now and then. According to one study texting while driving is six times more likely to cause an accident than driving drunk is. Six times. Distracted driving is impaired driving. That's not a public service announcement but you can take it for what it's worth. Okay? Well And I like this picture. I don't know if that's, I hope that's photoshopped. I really do. I don't know where that came from. But anyway, it's clear that it is very important to watch where you're going while you're driving. And it's even more important that you watch where you are going in how you live your life. Our starting passage today is Proverbs chapter 4. Verses 25 through 27. As we get partway through this, by the way, thank you, Elvin. Uh, he, you're going to hear a lot of what Elvin had to say. You're going to hear some things that sound a little different. They're not really, but they're just hopefully complementary to it as well. But anyway, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 25 through 27 say this. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet. And all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Now, we have here three short verses that are simple and easy to understand, but even a moment's contemplation will reveal for each one of us that we struggle with living them out. At least I do. I'm only assuming that you do. I mean, you you read those and you tell me, but we'll, we'll talk about it later. We don't keep our eyes fixed on our intended goals, so we wander. Or we see where we want to be, but we try to take what we think is the easiest and most convenient way of getting there instead of identifying and following the best way. Probably most significantly, we become enticed by things that lead us to places we shouldn't ever go. But we're so busy thinking about getting what we want for the moment that we ignore the destructive baggage that comes from turning aside from the right way. Our message today is called Watch Where You're Going. And we're going to take a look at these three verses and some of the implications and considerations that go along with them. Again, Proverbs 4.25 said, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. And that's, you know, very literal, but it's also a bit of a metaphor. Let's say you're traveling from here to Albuquerque, New Mexico, because you've just landed your dream job there being a professional dog polisher, right? Okay, that's what you're going to do. You're going to go be a professional dog polisher in Albuquerque. So when you start out, all you can think about is Albuquerque, and you've mapped out your route to get you there, and you're so excited because you've always wanted to polish dogs for a living. So all you can think about is getting to New Mexico, you're driving along, and you're just outside of Provo, Utah, when you see a sign that says that an exit is coming up that will take you to Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, you, you say to yourself, you know, I've, I've never been to Las Vegas, and I've always wanted to go. I know I, I need to be in Albuquerque, and I've got a deadline to get there because of my job, but then I'll just make a quick detour and so still be able to get to Albuquerque on time. And what you don't know is that when you get to Las Vegas the valet who offers to park your car at the hotel isn't really a valet, yeah. And he drives off with your car and all your stuff. You still have enough money to pay for your room, but by the time the police and your insurance company deal with your stolen vehicle report, the job in Albuquerque's long gone, and you're stuck in Las Vegas without a job or a car. One thing leads to another. You never do make it to Albuquerque because, and you never do become a professional dog polisher. Why? because you took your eyes off the prize. You got distracted. In our Christian walk, it's critical that we keep the right goals in mind as we follow Jesus. We must never take our eyes off the prize until we complete our journey and reach our goal. And while there are many things on which we should focus as as we live the Christian life, here are three things that will help help keep us on track. I had a friend when I was growing up, whose family attended a church fairly often, and who identified as Christian, their family did. My friend had gotten into a minor fight with a couple of other boys who were picking on him. And as we were talking about it in the kitchen at his house, his mom defended her son for fighting back. Now, she was a teacher as well as a Christian, so I was surprised by both the content and grammar of her remark when she said, "'Well, I didn't raise my son to be no little Jesus.'" Now, one literal definition of Christian is little Christ. Christians are supposed to be Christ-like. And this is the first of the three things that we're looking at this morning to stay focused on as we follow him. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul starts the chapter by telling us to keep seeking the things that are above and to set our minds on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. He spells out what that looks like in the following verses, but it amounts to being Christ-like. Here's a good summary from verses 12 through 14, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another... And forgiving one and each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Focusing on being like Jesus will help us stay on the right road all the way to the end. Now, if you set out on a 2,000-mile journey, and you get 50 or 100 or 500 miles down the road, and you decide, you know what? Driving really isn't for you. So you pull over and turn off the engine. You will never reach your destination. It takes endurance to make it all the way to the end. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us the secret to having the endurance we need to make it to the end of our Christian journey. Verses 1 and 2 and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, as you look at those two verses, what are the key words? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. He showed us endurance in all of his life, but especially when he submitted himself to the shame and the humiliation of the cross. The next to the last thing Jesus said on the cross was, It is finished. He completed his work here on earth because he endured to the end. He wants us to follow his example and to endure to the end, whether that means until we die or until he returns. Now, the most obvious thing, maybe, that we need to keep in mind as Christians is our ultimate destination, We do not follow Christ aimlessly, not knowing where we might end up. Well, I'm just following Jesus, not sure where it's going to turn out, how it's it's going to end, but no, we know. We are headed to a specific place and that place is heaven. Paul described his own focus on heaven as his final destination in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, some of which we've already heard this morning. Paul knew his journey was not complete as he wrote this, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, and when you hear that, you pay attention, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. Now do you see the key words in these verses? Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Jesus said, and I don't know if he knew about Baylor's either, but he said this. He said that a man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's not to take anything away from what Elvin had to say this morning. Context is everything. But you can't run the plow looking over your shoulder the whole time is the point. okay? You, you can't go backward, And we all know what happened to Lot's wife when she looked back after being told not to back there in the Old Testament. They're fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah. Destruction is coming. They were told don't look back. She looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, if you're driving down the highway and you keep your eyes glued to the rear-view mirror, what's going to happen? Now you're going to wreck. Yep, yep. If you keep your eyes glued to the rear-view mirror, you're going to wreck. It's there for a purpose, but it's only momentary. I look back, I'm, I'm okay. There's nobody coming up behind me, nobody on my bumper. You know, everything's okay. I need to be focused on the road ahead if I'm driving. We must keep our focus where it belongs, on the things above where our lives are hidden with Christ and God, and on Jesus, our perfect example of endurance, and on the road ahead of us as it leads to heaven. Now, the second verse of our starting passage today is Proverbs 4.26. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Now, if you have kids, and your kids have Legos, then you know the importance of watching where you step, especially in your bare feet, okay? Okay? Yeah, uh, or if you live in that kind of a house where there's stuff on the floor, whatever. If you're walking in the woods, rocks, sticks, stumps, holes, and even clumps of grass can all cause you to trip or fall if you don't see them and avoid them. When you step on a steep, where you step on a steep trail can mean the difference between having a secure foothold that supports you as you climb or sliding backwards and falling. You need to watch your step. So let's look briefly at three things that can help you avoid falling in your Christian walk. Now, camp is still underway at at Lake Mary Ronan. Junior and first chance camps are starting tomorrow. But right now, uh, they're having outdoor skills camp. And a number of our people are up there making that happen. Some of our other people up there being part of the camp. Uh, So we, we have a number of people up there this weekend. But camp is happening. And one of the things that we tell all the campers to bring is a flashlight, okay? Because when it gets dark at camp, it really gets dark. And we don't want any of the campers running into anything or tripping and falling in the dark. Oh, we don't want them to do those things in the light either, but you can only do so much, right, Josh? Yeah, okay. Josh had a little incident senior week. Anyway, happened in the light, didn't it? Yeah. Okay, in John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus said, while I am in the world... I am the light of the world. His righteousness and holiness illuminate the dark recesses of our sinful lives and provide the spiritual light we need in order to come to him for salvation. But what are we to do for light now that Jesus is not with us in person anymore? Well, a verse that is probably familiar to most of us, as it is part of the Pledge Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible is Psalm 119, verse 105. And if you know it, you can say it along with me here. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word, the Bible, provides the illumination we need to keep us from tripping and falling in our Christian walk. It shows us what sin is so that we can avoid its entanglements. And it shows us the best way to live so our steps are sure and secure. Knowing and applying God's word is essential for us as we follow Jesus. Now some of the specifics of that are found in Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 23. Verse 16 of Galatians 5 begins with the command to walk by the spirit so that we do not carry out the desire of the flesh. Carrying out the desire of the flesh is like not watching your step when you're walking, so you trip and fall and injure yourself. Verses 19 through 21 of Galatians 5 give some examples of the things that trip us up when we do them. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, Ending, drunkenness, carousing, and Paul says, and things like these. And that's not a very nice list, is it? These things represent the way of destruction. These are the things that we produce on our own without God's help. But there is a better way. And when we choose our steps carefully, the Holy Spirit provides that better way for us. You probably know the list of the fruit of the Spirit, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are things that the Holy Spirit supplies when we allow Him to direct our ways in Christ. These things represent the way of eternal life. And while that path may not always be easy, I guarantee you, it's not always going to be easy. It will always be sure and secure. Another thing that will help us walk the walk of following Jesus in the direction and manner that we ought to walk it is if we concern ourselves with pleasing God. Now, I'm not talking about earning our salvation somehow because that is impossible. You and I cannot do enough good works or works of sufficient magnitude such that God is obligated to save us. But we can... Devote ourselves to living in such a way as to please Him, which ought to please us as well. I mean, this is God we're talking about. The person who loves us more than anybody else ever can or will. And we have this relationship with Him through His Son Jesus Christ, and we love Him too. And it's like, if I want to please somebody, I ought to want to please God, right? Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 says it like this For this reason also, Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That we would even have the opportunity to live in such a way as to please God ought to astound us. That that's even possible for me, that I could live in such a way that God would be pleased. I mean, that's a pretty tall order for a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners, don't you think? And I didn't just point my finger at you and say that you guys are a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners. But if I did, I hope you wouldn't be too offended because I'm in that group too. We're all in that group. And yet, when we are in Christ, God strengthens us with his power so that we can please him in all respects. And sometimes, and you may have already been here, you may have already come up against this maybe many times, but sometimes we must choose between pleasing God and pleasing people if you're going to watch your steps properly as you follow Jesus pleasing God is always always the right choice and finally we come to Proverbs 4:27 do not turn to the right nor to the left turn your foot from evil Usually when the Bible speaks of turning to the right or the left, it means deviating from the correct path, departing from the path of doing what is right, leaving, leaving the way that will get us where we really want to go, which is ultimately heaven. Back in 2011, our youngest son, Nate, drew a moose tag, a little rotten kid. I mean, he wasn't even 12 years old yet. But he would turn 12 during the season, so that allowed him to apply for and ultimately draw the permit. Nate and Pat and I loaded up our 33-foot camper, hooked it onto the truck, and headed out on a Sunday afternoon during moose season to spend a week trying to find a moose for Nate. As we got off the highway and deeper into the mountains, it started to get dark. And the road we were on Although I'd been in the area before, the road we were on was somewhat unfamiliar to me. And I was in a hurry. I'm typically in a hurry, and I shouldn't be, but I was. So we came, when we came to this intersection that I didn't recognize, I, I took my best guess. It, instead of studying the map carefully and making sure I knew which way to go. And it was probably 8 or 10 miles before I realized that I'd turned off the main road. And now it's getting really dark, And the road was narrow without a good place to turn around. I mean, I've got a full-size crew cab truck, 8-foot bed, 33-foot trailer on the back of that. You know what I'm talking about, right? When we did finally turn around, we were bumping into trees both forward and back in order to make that happen. And it almost didn't happen. I was was panicking a little bit. We got back on the right road and, and made it to the campground. But it was much later than I wanted it to be, and much later than it had to be, all because I turned when I shouldn't have. Now, the consequences of turning to the right or the left from God's path are much more severe than taking a wrong turn in the woods. Let's look at three things related to this idea of turning off from the way God intends for us to go. My hunting story shows what can happen when we turn from the right road unwittingly. But the warning in Proverbs 4.27 is speaking about turning from the right way intentionally. Deuteronomy 5, verses 32 and 33 gave the Israelites a positive reason not to turn to the right or the left from God's way. Namely, that they might live and that it might be well with them, that they might prolong their days in the land that they would possess. Another way of saying that is to say that God blesses In his own time and in his own way, those who stay on the path, he prepares for them. In contrast, Deuteronomy 28, I'm not going to read it, verses 15 through 68. Yeah, there's no way I'm reading, you know, 50 some verses here. But it goes on and on about all the curses and plagues and punishments that would come on God's people if they chose to disobey his commands. And that's really what turning to the right or the left means in this context. Staying on the path is obedience. And turning off of the path is disobedience. Why not turn from the path? Well, because disobedience has consequences that you don't want to deal with. And some consequences that you can't deal with. They're that severe. As the fellow driving that car would have found out. So... If we know about the consequences of disobedience, why are, are we tempted to turn off the path in the first place? What is it that would say, well, I mean, you know what the danger is, you know what the consequences are, why would you even want to go there? Well, in a word, the answer is selfishness. We want what we want. We let the appeal of sinful things override our better judgment in knowing that we need to obey God in all things. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 spell out for us the three areas of temptation that can lead us off the path if we give in. It says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And you think about those three categories of temptation. The lust of the the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Like Eve in the Garden of Eden, we let ourselves be taken in by these things, and then we enter into sin. When Eve looked at the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, she saw that it was good for food, lust of the flesh. Then she saw that it was pleasing to the eyes and she wanted it. Well, lust of the eyes. And then she saw that it was desirable to make one wise in her faulty understanding, which is the boastful pride of life. Eve gave in to that triple whammy of temptation, but we often give in to just one of those things, don't we? In 1 John, John made it clear that the root problem is that we love the world more than we love God. Small wonder that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And I'd have to ask the question that only you can answer. What gets in your way of loving God first, most, and best? You have to figure that out. If there's something that's getting in the way of you loving God first, most, and best, you've got a problem. And you need to take care of it. Well, thankfully, God cares about whether we stay on his path or not. And he offers us correction when we need it. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, puts it this way. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. God loves his people, and he warns them to return to his path when they stray from it. But we have to be listening for his warnings, and we have to be ready to obey them when they come. God warned Adam and Eve about the fruit before the serpent ever came to thee. He told them, this is what's going to happen. He warned Cain about his problem with Abel, before Cain lured his brother out into the field to kill him. But Eve and Cain didn't benefit from God's warning because they went ahead with their own ways. Being warned isn't enough. We must heed the warning and stay on God's path if we're going to benefit from God's correction. Now, God's warnings today come through his word, through his Holy Spirit, And through godly people who care enough about us to try to keep us pointed in the right direction. And you'll hear the warnings if you really want to. It's the wanting to that gets to be difficult. Because, and again, I hope I'm not just speaking for myself when I say we are stubborn, selfish people who want what we want. If we would let go of ourselves and fully embrace the way of true discipleship, following Jesus the way he wants us to, we'll hear the warnings, we won't stir off the path, we'll stay focused, life will be better. I don't think anything we've talked about today is particularly difficult to understand. Living it out is something else though, isn't it? Just as it is dangerous to be distracted by trying to text while driving or focusing on something that is in a different direction than we need to go, it is dangerous to let your attention be caught by things that will lead you astray from God's desired path for you. We have to make sure we pay attention to the things that really matter, like being Christ-like, running the race with endurance, and keeping the ultimate destination of heaven always in view. And even as we stay on the right path, we must be careful how we walk. And I think this relates to what Elvin was talking about, about circumspectly. We must be careful about how we walk and not do the spiritual equivalent of running with scissors or driving in the dark with no headlights. Jesus and the Bible will provide all the light we need to see the right way clearly so we can stay on it faithfully. When we belong to Jesus... We have the Holy Spirit living in us, producing his fruit of righteousness and helping us to avoid the pitfalls of the deeds of the flesh. When we live in such a way as to please God, we put ourselves aside as we walk securely on the path he has prepared for us in following Jesus. And God has made clear the benefits of staying on that path, as well as the consequences of straying from it. We know we will be tempted to go our own way. Even Jesus was tempted. But we can be ready for those temptations and resist them with God's help. God is faithful. He does not allow the Christian to be tempted beyond what he is able to withstand. God always provides a way of escape for his people when they are tempted. And not only that, God also points us back in the right direction when we start to wander. He takes no pleasure in our sin. And he makes a special effort. To keep us on the path. But we must listen. For his correction. And we must be ready to respond to him. When he gives it. Now if you're not yet a Christian. Then your life. Is Like. Somebody driving 100 miles per hour downhill on a narrow, steep-sided mountain road in the dark with no headlights and no brakes. It may not feel that way right now. And you might think, as long as you've got gas in the car, that you're doing okay. Some people, that's the only thing they look at. I've got gas in the car. That's all I need until the check engine light comes on because they haven't changed the oil in five years. That's a bad thing, right? But if that's you, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. Unless things change, you're headed for the bottom of the canyon and it won't be pretty when you get there. Now, thankfully, God knows what your life is like. He cares what your life is like. And he's ready to take the wheel, stop the car, get you pointed in the right direction, and guide you in making your journey safely a much better destination now all that's an analogy and analogies typically break down or become unclear or fog out at some point whatever, let's be clear if Jesus Christ isn't your Lord and Savior, you're headed for eternity in hell, no matter how well you think you're doing right now, is that clear? that's clear but God loves you more than anyone else ever could More than we can actually comprehend. So he sent Jesus to die on a cross and to take the penalty of your sin on himself. If you'll accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, submitting to his way of living, telling others about your faith in him, and being immersed into him, your sins will be forgiven. And the Holy Spirit will live in you to produce his fruit and to guide you on the right path. And you can start focusing on heaven as your final destination because you're sure and you know that's where I'm going. It's your choice. But in my mind, there's only one choice here that makes sense. So if you want to choose to follow Jesus,